Hariom, and welcome to Thinking is Free, proudly brought to you by Chinmaya Mission New Zealand. Hariom, and welcome to Thinking is Free. I am Ishan Chaitanya, and along with me today, I'm joined by Nagin Ahmed of Vertational Cube from Sydney and Akash. Hariom. Hi, Nagin. Hi, everyone. Hi, Ishan. Hi, Akash. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks for joining us. All right, let's get into the topic itself. We've been talking about society and spirituality. We've um, tried to understand from a societal perspective, why is there a need for society? What's the role of society, its relevance? And what is the purpose of it? How does it benefit us? And we've worked our way through the conversation we've said that there is definitely a role that society plays for us in Mm -hmm. terms of ordering and giving us structure as to how we live making life better for everyone around us it has a relevance where it aims to bring about equality and um, happiness to its to the people mm. that are part of it. Yep. And we s- tried seeing what a spiritual society would look like. And today we have Nagin with us who has worked quite a bit in this field and we would like to tickle her brain and find out her thoughts. Mm-hmm. Just just as an FYI and to catch all the listeners up, um, Nagin's based over in Sydney. Uh, she's had 15 years of um, experience in the social and public health um, kind of sector. Um, sorry, 15 years of yeah social and public health policy experience across uh, governance in the philanthropic sector. Um, and she believes in continuous growth and embracing challenges. And so we thought, you know, it'd be quite fitting to bring her on as we close out this segment in society and how we look at society and spiritualizing society. So yeah, Nagin, welcome to the, the, um, the podcast. It's great to have you here and yeah, we'd love to really love to get your thoughts on, um, how you actually implement, um, or, or what you actually do, because what we've been talking about is, um, how we can, how, how a society could be spiritualized, right, Ishanji? Um, and it doesn't actually, or it's it's quite tricky to work from a top down. Um, and so Ishanji, when he told me about you and the work you do, he told me, you know, you kind of work from a, a bottom up type of of an approach. Yeah, thanks, Akash. Um, so I've been uh, working in the public health sector and government and philanthropic sector for many, many years. It's basically all I know. Um, and what you've asked today is a loaded question with no simple answer. And that's <laughs> that a reflection. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's what makes it interesting as well. And that's what we've been studying for centuries. So to, to ever think that we will ever have an answer that serves everyone's purpose um, or be able to create a utopia that is a perfect place uh, is, I think it's, um, it's a mirage and anyone who's attempting that may be in for a disappointment. 
But that said, doesn't mean that we don't try. Mm. Um, we have a lot within our individual realms, but also in the communities that we socialize and live and work in, opportunities to make uh, changes and influence. And, and primordially, I believe that, in, that humans were born to better society. That's our primordial state that we're born in. Then the environment, the nature, the experiences that we have will mold and shape us into the, the people that we are. And as we get involved in the chase of the chase of this life, we may get distracted and move away from being able to do as much good as is possible for us to impact and about better change in society. But in terms of, uh, you know, I, I think we, especially right now in, in the age of so much disinformation and, and numerous access to data and, and knowledge, that we may often, um, let's try, so we may get really bogged down into hopelessness and, and be like, every room of the house is burning. Like it looks mm. like wherever we look on the news, there's no good information. There's no good mm. news. Yep. But, you know, and, and that can be really, uh, you know, it can really bring in a sense of hopelessness and misery. But I, I do think that we need to acknowledge how far we have come. And because I've worked in the public health sector and in health, I can certainly say that we've come a very, very long way. And we have previous generations and even perhaps our our own generation, but certainly the ones before us have made great strides. So I guess when we're looking at society, we sort of need to look at individual issues perhaps, um, yeah. individual components, and then look at where we have made great progress and, and really acknowledge that and appreciate that and try and protect it. Um, but where we haven't, there is an opportunity there for us to do as much good as we can, uh, depending on the privileges that have been bestowed upon us. Yep. So, a question that comes to my mind, Nagin, um, is we say that we have made great strides and we are moving in the right direction. But a question that comes to my mind when I think about that is the way we are approaching welfare and well-being of people and structuring as societies, are we, who are these societies really serving today? Is it still the individuals or is there a great component of the approach taking into aspect or taking into consideration certain institutions or certain organizations and their, you can say, benefits are kept in mind as a primary purpose and then the communities as a secondary purpose. Is that happening or are we still really focused on serving the communities primarily? Yeah, that's a good question. So look, I would say that, uh, first of all, we are part of that system, yes. each one of us, right? So Akash, Ishan, Nagin, we are all part of that system. And one of the things is, as people, and this is why I was really interested in politics and why I wanted to set up Rotation Cube, which is about building and increasing political literacy, um, is because it impacts every aspect of our lives. And 
the institutions that you are talking about have all come about because of the decisions that have been made or the policies that have been driven through our government um, or uh, people who we have bestowed power upon to be doing things for us. So ideally, they would be serving their communities and serving for us. But what we often forget is that there's we have a massive role to play, and that is accountability, ensuring that these institutions that are in place to serve us, to serve our communities, big or small, are accountable to us. And that's why we're called public servants. So, you know, like I work, I've worked in government. I'm, I'm an officer. I'm a public officer. How boring is that? Like the title. <laughs> you know, everyone gets fancy, fancy titles. And I, for the last 15, 20 years, have still been stuck being an officer. Um, and it can go from being a junior to a, to a senior to an exec, but it is that I'm a public servant. Yeah. And, and it's a constant reminder that whether whoever you are, and if we're working, you know, if our governance model is democratic, that we need to ensure that we are well-versed with what's happening so we can hold everyone accountable. Mm. And it's only in that, it's a two-way relationship. And when we do, they will have to serve to the individuals, to the communities. So I don't think it's currently happening everywhere. Um, institutions in, in, in the private sector, you know, we are living in this world of um, distractibility where technology is a shiny, glittering thing at the moment. Um meeting, you know, profit capitalism. We've been in this movement for years now. Uh, so it certainly has taken away the focus of in the, the pure intent that we're really here to serve. Um, but again, I we are all part of this and we all have a play to role a, a role to play in that. Yep. So it would depend on what institution you're saying, but some governments are certainly doing much better for their people than others around the world. So uh, yeah, if that if that answers, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. I, I was going to say, do do you think that these the governments and these these big um, public the, the 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 agencies which support the public, do you think that sometimes they're almost out of reach for the public to communicate with? Or they're too big of a machine because they are there to serve the um, the public, you know. Like, for, for just an example, I'm an architect, and um, on one of our jobs, we had to. We've got our boundary line, and between our boundary line and the footpath, there's a small bit of landscaping, and we just needed to let the council know that you know we'll maintain that, and so we put that on our drawings, and we put that. Uh, which I even tried to get in contact with like the the council and the land agency, but no one ever came back to me. And so do you think that's, 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 you know, like this agency set up to serve the public, but yeah, it's just out of reach. Yeah. Look, they're not coming back to you just poor form. Um, it might even just be poor customer service to be honest. Mm. But that's a very good example. It, it is still a very good example because it is the, it's at that level that the influence can be seen and it starts. So that's the interaction that we have with our 
um, with our agencies. It's usually those small. It's, it's usually those things that we need done on a daily basis. Mm. Um, and if that falls apart, then the next layer up of accountability and what they're there to do for us is sabotage too. So it is important that at, at, and at, it's we don't know what to do in those instances. You know, so it is being able to be. Um, more skilled in navigating the system. And that's why I was so interested in uh, coming into the space of how do we build young leaders who know how to navigate politics and policy so that they can be better leaders um, versus the ones, and that's my personal hypothesis, which is what I'm basing rotation on, that the exceptional leaders of tomorrow are the ones who, who understand politics and governance and know how to navigate it versus the average leader who will be siloed off and short-sighted in their vision because they will know the big influences that are being exerted on them from the policymakers around. So to be able to navigate how you get your work down through council is a fundamental process that an you know, we need to be across. Who's going to provide that, though? And here's where the dilemma is, I think. Mm. Um, we are talking about governments who have their own interests. And I think this comes down to your question, Ishan, that whether it's a private sector or in government or an NGO, whoever it may be, they do protect themselves and they will... So governments and political parties particularly have are also trying to meet their own objectives. They're in for a four-year or five-year electoral cycle, they want to get votes in the bank. So they do have a purpose that to mould their policies and their messages that will attract that vote, that voting bank, right? So it won't yeah. always be pure intent. Um, but we, we've we got to recognise how much power we hold and what we can, but it's what we don't really know actually, no one's telling us, is how do we use that power in a in a democratic and safe way um yeah yeah um it, it's really nice that you brought the conversation or, or the um control back to the individual and having the responsibility lie with us to executing the power that we hold that mm -hmm. we are currently unaware of yeah um and we talked about this briefly when we were discussing as to how do we make a society work and we said it has to be a bottom-up approach where the individual has to be empowered, the individual has to bear the responsibility and start taking steps in the right direction if we want society as a whole to go in the right um, place. Mm. Um, and with that, Nagin, could I request you to just share very briefly about rotational cube. I know you've touched upon it, but what exactly is your thoughts or are your thoughts on how societies can function and how does rotational cube in aspire to make this happen? Okay, so how societies can function is a question above my intellect, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I can certainly talk to why I think Rotation Cubed 
can play a small, very small role. So, so when you say it's beyond in, your intellect, would it is it horses for courses? As in, different environments will require different approaches. Is that what you mean, or is that something that we just haven't figured out yet as to how society should run? Okay, so it's because um, there's so many faculties involved. So you go speak to an economist. I mean, the reason I said it's about my intellect is because it's certainly not an area of study. Yeah. But um, like society and sociology, you know, there's people who run who an economist will approach it from a different angle. Um, a philosopher and a sociologist will approach it from a different angle. I really find the work of Ibn Khaldun, who was a 13th century founder, so to speak, of the sciences of history and the sciences of sociology, really fascinating work that he did. And everything sort of has sort of built on from his work. But what he especially talks about is that we are, um, he, he looked at several dynasties back in, back in that time. And what he said was that we are in a cyclical nature um, to a point that we will set up something prosper, but then the rulers, the leaders, the community themselves will reach a point where they've got so many privileges, they're living in luxury, that ostentation will kick in, that corruption will kick in, um, that lust and greed will kick in, and then at that point, you will start to see a decline. And then it's a cyclical nature. And then eventually what will happen is someone else will come and fill that vacuum. Mm. Um, so we sort of have, this, and that's where I love about history is there's so many nuggets of gold and learnings um, to go back and look into to only predict and know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. So what, um, you know, the issues that we see right now, like poverty, for example, if we were to individually pick each issue that's impacting society, the poverty has declined. Uh, I think between 29, oh, what's the data? There's about 27% reduction. We've had 1 billion people come out of poverty. So that's definitely a pat on the back. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that poverty is eradicated. So, you know, we have, I think back in the day, about five, 10 years ago, when I was getting into the startup scene in philanthropy, there would be these big mass mission statements. We're going to eradicate world poverty, um, you know, and well, unfortunately, with as long as we're around as humans, we're not going to. What will happen is the time and place might change. So the geography, that issue might be prevalent in Africa, it'll move around. So yeah. it might then move to another part of the world. We've seen it. Every part of the world has gone through these slavery. I will certainly come a long way, but it still exists. Um, much to mm. my surprise, I, I didn't know. Um, you know, so these issues are always going to be around, unfortunately, and that was the idea behind rotation, was that the social economic um, and social economic, uh, technological, environmental, so these are on rotation. The time and place is changing of these issues. The approach and solutions might change, but unfortunately, they are they're with us, uh, and we have a role to play in trying to reduce them as much as we can to make lives better for the people around us. Mm. Um, and I, while working in philanthropy and government, I found that one of the things spaces that was heavily missing was the political sector. So we would go and do research to find out how do we address domestic domestic violence, for example, or homelessness, or whatever it may be. But 
the role and influence of policy and politics in both bringing about those issues but also finding solutions was missing. And that's because in one part is governments are one of the key grant um, donors to the philanthropic sector, even universities. So it goes against, there's a conflict of interest. Uh, so it's very hard to find um, a, you know, a solution where you know, universities will go out of their way. And I've had this conversation here in Sydney with a couple, a couple of universities. And like, you, know, you are aware that when you're raising, when you're talking about politics in a non-partisan way, it's going to be very hard for us to get support from government because they will feel threatened, you know. They will be it's against their models. So, um, exactly, exactly. And that's why we don't have governments investing in building political leaders. We'll have the Labour Party and the, over here the coalition go and invest in building leaders for their own parties, right, and building leaders who are uh, instilling their their party's philosophy, um, but not producing, so to speak, uh, unbiased leaders who uh, are not tainted by a certain ideology. It's not in their best interest. So who are those organizations that are going to create these leaders who um, can come into politics but be able to hold their ground? Mm. And I think I may have gone off your question. I'm sorry. That's fine. No, I think I think it's it's quite quite a relevant point, and um, it does make you wonder. You know, like what we've been talking about is having these different um, different types of societies. You know, we've and we'll touch on it. You know, we'll, we're talking about like the monarchy in in Britain and different parts of the world. We're talking about uh, dictatorships. Uh, democratic societies and even within the democratic society it's meant to be a society of of balance where everyone's given a voice but when you've like you've mentioned you've got these um parties and they have their own agendas and you know they're they're you you gotta kind of it kind of sways the the boat you know depending on whose agenda um the, the masses like. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not to like pit anyone against each other. Uh, we need to try and be working as much to achieve peace and harmony in our approach. Mm. So we need to keep that in mind and how we approach our solution finding. Um, because when we do look around, there there is, you know, hopelessness at times when you see how some governments around the globe are functioning. But, there's certain principles that um, we we need to be very clear on, and for me, one of those is that um, any policy or any approach that causes disunity is not going to not only will it not be sustainable and not work, but it's going to be detrimental um, to the society. So. And you can read that. You can read that in the messaging that comes out of certain um, governments. You can, it's very clear. You know, it, it doesn't take rocket science to know whether this messaging or policy is going to bring communities and countries, the country together, or is it going to to divide? And I believe would stand firm on the side of a policy that brings people together. 
but and sometimes we don't know if it will, and that's where I think we need to be more involved and in, in, in and aware of what's happening. Um, unfortunately, you know, I really do believe that politics plays a massive, massive role in, in sort of every aspect of our being. And unfortunately, it's become so complex and boring and unsexy that we don't keep abreast with what's happening. We don't want to engage in it, better off not knowing. Um, but I, you know, I've been working with a lot of young people in rotation and the, they are so involved in social issues and it's so heartening to see how across their, especially climate change environment, and they, they just don't know what to do with it, you know. And this is not in, when I was in my 20s, I was off traveling and holidaying and I was so oblivious. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wouldn't completely discredit myself. I was somewhat aware, but certainly not to the level that I'm seeing now. And it, it's very, you know, inspiring. And I just want to be able to provide what I can in my small um, sphere of influence, the tools that they need to be able to then take that passion and interest to the next level. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just do want to put that on record that it's not all doom and gloom and young people are very much involved these days and aware of social issues. They just don't know how to navigate that with with government, with politics, with politics. Which is which is nice to know, you know, that there is a space for them, um, for someone like yourself and Rotation Cubed out there who is champion championing, um, you know, just a, a balanced and a balanced society. Nigin, your thoughts on the importance or relevance of spirituality and a new society or the society of tomorrow does it have a place in it or what are your thoughts you keep asking really tricky questions you know um <laughs> that's my job <laughs> imagine if i was asking you that and you probably would have a much better answer than i would anyway um look so spirituality is so unique and individual it's such a personal component. Uh, I certainly am very a very spiritual person. Um, I'm also very much involved in my faith. And, you know, back in the 70s, it's, um, I think there was a whole movement in the late 60s and 70s where uh, moving away from religion and spirituality was considered rebellious. Mm. Now I feel the rebellion is you know, rebellious people are actually the ones who are holding on to their spirituality and faith. So I sometimes feel rebellious in a society. I'm like, oh, you know, it almost have to justify that being um, uh, observant to and adhering to certain values and principles that derive from your faith. Uh, but that said, it plays a massive, massive role. And again, that's because I'm coming from a perspective who does hold those strong values in religion and sees a big place and role for it in society. But I'll probably just say that what we haven't touched upon, but we sort of brushed over it, was the individual responsibility right at the start. And because we're talking about uh, spirituality, there's a big component that I, um, which is our spiritual heart, the purification of our heart, which holds all these, yeah, it's the, it's the central 
So I'm not talking about physical. We know the importance of a physical heart and how it keeps everything functioning for us. Yes. Similarly, there's the spiritual element and there's a spiritual component of our heart, which if we don't look after it, we don't feed it right nutrients, it will, just as physically, it, if it too spiritually will decay and it will harden and will get black. And, you know, mm-hmm. and well, that is, I think, the ailment to, that, that's what's driving a lot of the mad madness that we're seeing in society at times. Yes. And I'm thinking about things like not being able to control our egos, you know, aggression, anger, envy, greed lust for more and more, you know, constantly being in the chase of the chase of this world. Uh, these are diseases of the heart, spiritual diseases of the heart, which is driving the decisions that people are making, you know, hold, the greed to hold on to power, the greed for leadership. And then even if you know you're not good at it, but still clinging on, you know, not giving others the opportunity. And it's really simple thing. So this morning I was picking up my coffee and there's this car that, zoomed by in a um, uh, 40-kilometer zone, and uh, the cafe owner goes, oh, he's in a bit of a rage. And I think, and I think actually, that's just impatience. Yeah. And not being able to control that, like, what, what is the rush in a residential area? Um, on a Sunday morning. Little small things. On a Sunday morning, exactly. Thank you. So it's like, you know, we may not be noticing these things, um, but it's all it's driven from the lack of control of our uh, of these behaviors and um, I call them like the, yeah the spiritual diseases of the heart and you know backstabbing for example just imagine what that does how detrimental that is to society to communities to your friend circle little things like that like we really and there is individual responsibility. We can all work on, and I certainly can, you know, and I first and foremost speak for myself, have a whole range of behaviors that I can be working on and show up better. And I find it fascinating. I've been coached a couple of times really, like, you know, certainly lifestyle coaches, which has been a thing over the past little while. And uh, they would talk about vision and purpose and, um, and, you know, how to be really efficient and, and um, but not burn out and be available for your family. And there's all, but no one is talking about, Nagin, how are you thinking about your internal self? How, you know, are you thinking about these vices of the heart? How, what are you doing to, con- did you, you know, like how do you control your greed? How do you control your tongue that you what comes out is you know that we're not saying anything that will hurt someone so that is a spiritual component for me and i I really do think that we can work on at that level anyone can work at that level yes absolutely and you know i I think that resonates a lot with what we talk about in thinking is free is where we've where we are today and how can we go back to being better human beings as you said, that disease of the heart, the spiritual heart, we mm. call it the purity of the mind, to have all these noble virtues and qualities to make ourselves better human beings and thereby make the place that we live in and the people around us happier and more harmonious and to 
live together, um, caring for each other. And in, that's is exactly what a society aims to do. Mm-hmm. So what we're thinking for the for the this last little little bit, just as we close up, is we're going to do a quick little uh, quick fire round, um, and it's kind of just like a yay or nay, and we need a why as well. Um, and what we're going to be, what we're going to discuss, and what we'd love both your opinions on is the king's coronation of recent, and whether we are for it, against it, and just um, your your reasoning. Um, so maybe, maybe, and, and just having it in, in context of what we've been talking about as well today, um, you know, like looking at what we've been discussing, poverty, uh, personal agendas, um, the type of society we live in. So income, you know, and then also, uh, looking at self as well. Um, and I know you talked about the spiritual disease of the heart of the heart and we've been talking about the purity of mind all encompassing everything um and then we've got the king's coronation so yay or nay should we start with you first nagin uh um nay and how come um well this i guess it doesn't it didn't require that level of Pompousness. Um, there's uh, there's other kings around the world down there, and we never see such um, extravagance. Mm. So there, clearly, there's a way to get on the throne without surging. It might have been relevant for the people there. So, but because we're talking about a, um, it. It, it could have been money better spent elsewhere. Yeah. Ishanji? I think I agree with Nagin on the pomp and show of coronation, probably not required. But I think the whole symbolism of a king that or a queen who stays in power long past the up and down of all governments um, has a potential is a potential source of knowledge because they see what really works for the people they can provide and relatively unbiased it won't be purely unbiased it won't be completely unbiased but a relatively unbiased opinion of what really works and what doesn't work um, every political party comes in with their own agenda, tries to make mm. things work, and three years, four years, five years later, it all gets undone by another political party trying something new. But here we have someone who has that constancy in, who's able to overlook what's really going on and provide some insights which can really help make some good decisions. So, yeah. Yep. And just for myself, yeah, I think I'm team nay. <laughs> um, and reasons being, reasons being is just, I because I had a chat with someone as well, and um, someone who's from um, the UK and grown up there, you know, and their experience was that the the family has set up and provided for that community, you know, but for the rest of the world, it doesn't really mean too much and. Like you've said as well, Nagin, the the 
the show of wealth and grandeur, you know, what we've been talking about, there's still so much poverty around the world. So many, um, just the, the sharing of that wealth. I feel like if, if, um, the, the global happiness is of concern yep. first, um, and that's a priority, then that would just right. be shared. I think I have just one small bit, and I think we can close <laughs> on this, is without that show and pomp, I don't think they would remain relevant or remain as a focal point for the world. When mm. we talk about the king or the queen, there's only one king or queen that we talk about, and that's the king, the monarch of Britain. Mm. There are quite a few monarchies around the world, and we yep. don't speak about any of them. And it's probably exactly why, because they're not in the focus light because they've stopped all the show and pomp. So maybe it's a tool to remain relevant and mm. to make yourself known as someone who has that capability to provide that insight if done properly. For sure. Cool. That brings us to the end of today's episode. And again, we just really want to thank you so much uh, for your time and um, just your sharing um, on what you're doing on a, on a day-to-day basis um, and how, you know, the, the work you do is helping to create a better future as well um, for our society. Yes. We, at least, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did as well, Nagin. Um, thank you for joining us. No, thank you. That was really interesting, and certainly um, you've ha- you've got me thinking. Thank you to our listeners as well. Um, it's just been a pleasure to finally get to the end of the the series as well. We've now just finished up on um, our fourth series, fourth series on uh, society and spirituality and how we can live in a world with both of them. Um, so, Harion, and we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thank you. Howdy on. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Thinking is Free, proudly brought to you by Chinmay Mission New Zealand. For more information on events, courses, several projects and study groups, please visit chinmaya.org.nz. Howdy on.